I'm Russ Boris, and this is 8-Track. My guests today are one of the most innovative duos in the electro-pop world who've recently released their latest album called No Rules, Sandy. Happy to welcome Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso to the show. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Great to catch up with you guys. It's been a while. So, um, you know, the, the music that you create at the beginning and the music you create now, there's there's such a variety and such a breadth to it. So I think conversationally, this will be really fun. Um, I like that we're going to go in a number of different places. Uh, Nick, I think you said that you, you might have chosen this first one. And so I'm curious, um, obviously, you know, musically speaking, this seems to be in your wheelhouse. Tell me what you can about this song called uh, Zale from Wow Wow Collective. Uh, this is the f- the first single off of the new Wow Wow Collective record. Um, wow Wow Collective is this band that I, to be honest, don't know a ton about. I know that they're a band that's that's centered on a couple of producers and musicians who then have uh, pulled in people from all over Africa to make this record kind of, uh, you know, via email. Um, their their last record was called Ural Sadum, and it's excellent if you haven't heard it. It's so good. But when they came out with this one, it's just this song hinges on there's this moment. It starts with these kids chanting and then the whole thing just turns on a dime about a minute in. And this this unbelievable groove emerges that you just don't see coming. And it's just one of the most, you know, when a musical moment is just so satisfying that like everyone who hears it goes like ah, right at the same moment. It's it's one of those songs. And I like love it so much. There are so many examples of that in the history of music that where you just hone in on one particular part. You know, for me, like the way Otis Redding sings "Home" in "Dock of the Bay," like that kills me. Like where he just says, "I left my home in Georgia." Like I could never hit that note. I don't know how he hit that note, and there's something kind of unique about it. So that's that's the beauty of like, oh, this is the spot. This is the moment. The drum solo in in the air tonight, or whatever it is. Yeah, and this one is one of those ones where like it, it's such a hard left turn. It's like a party starting, you know what I mean? It's just like everything's kind of, uh, there's a little bit of a question mark and then suddenly it just settles into this space that you want to live in for like hours. for that one so I did uh, anticipate the shift but it, it, was, it wasn't any less cool when it came up that was really special so where did you come across this band? Um, they uh, work with this label that I love called Sahel Sounds um, which is run by a bunch of people in Nigeria and this guy in Portland um, and it's basically just it's it started as a um, a label that kind of was highlighting Nigerian Touareg music and it's it's just I mean they have an insane roster but yeah was, I just kind of been following them and this was like a, a band that they put out that I had never heard of before and uh, their last record just kind of blew me away and so when this got announced I was really excited
Now, when you guys worked on the new record, you know, what was the mindset going in there? Did you were intentionally trying to like let things breathe in a different way than they had before, or just approach things differently, or did that kind of evolve naturally when you were recording? Um, I think we we didn't know that we were making a record when we first started, so really it was just kind of about improvisation. And then as as we, we kept on being able to write songs, it became apparent that the thing we were doing was working. So we just, instead of trying to, usually when we know we're doing a record, then all of a sudden we get very serious. Um, and we decided instead to just keep the spirit of improvisation and fun alive in the record. If you're taking it down to, to a serious place, does that become almost more work and less fun? It doesn't become less fun, but it does become more um, metered and serious. Like every decision all of a sudden like has the weight of like playing it for potentially ever to it instead of just being like, well, what feels good right now? You know what I mean? So it's not that it be- doesn't become fun. It's that it becomes official. And how does that work in terms of, of timeline? Like, do you have a, you say like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to work on this today from this time to this time, and then we have to cut it out because you're obviously around each other all the time. What's the separation of working on it and then putting it to bed for a little while? Oh, I'm a big believer in the four hour workday. <laughs> <laughs> I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. I really am. Well, also because you can't, I personally can't actually work longer than that. Sometimes I can if I'm really into it, but usually, like, I'll cook it if I'm working when I don't want to be working. I think that's the most time, yeah, either of us can be focused on any one idea. I think if we were going to move along, we'd have to take a serious break and then do a different thing. But I think that's all. I mean, like, trying to manage creativity is basically impossible, you know? So (laughs) I think you just, you slowly learn the way your brain responds best to, uh, you know, lowercase d discipline exactly it's like trying to train a cat and (laughs) and like yeah you have to do what the cat wants to do otherwise you'll like you'll you'll make bad work that's the worst to like overcommit spend eight hours doing something and then realizing that you can only keep one thing from the day well, there's definitely something to be said about letting the creativity lead and not have it turn into something that feels difficult or challenged or less rewarding. Totally. But there's also the aspect of like, um, you're already doing kind of like an antithetical thing, which is sitting down and being like, be creative now, you know? So you're already like drifting into the world of unreality by demanding productivity whenever you wish. So it's all it's all kind of a fun wily e. coyote out in the air uh, experiment. Gotcha. All right. So the next song on the list uh, for A-Track is Daphne and Arrow. Uh, talk to me about this song. Uh, Daphne is the uh, other project of Caribou's Dan Snaith, um, who is somebody that we both absolutely love. Uh, and Daphne's kind of his uh, more off-the-cuff uh, kind of club focused 12 inch based kind of band and so the the last few Daphne records this is I think the third one the third full length but they're all just so it's like they're just kind of taped together I love how 
they feel that thing we were talking about it kind of has that feeling of immediacy that i think we're really going on for on this record where it feels like the track came together in the amount of time that the track takes to play you know it feels very free and off the cuff and uh focused on like groove and fun uh rather than like you know deep compositional thinking this track in particular i think this is the first one on his new record which is called cherry and it's just one of those th- it's like a it's a perfect loop for four minutes you know every once in a while somebody just nails a loop and you just want to listen to it forever and he's kind of a master at that time that I'm listening to it I'm wondering Nick is how do you listen to that you know do you listen to that and go oh here's what I could do or how does he do that like how does that influence what you do creatively I think with Dan and a lot of his kind of contemporaries I think that I focus on a lot with their music is how effortless they make it seem which is I think shockingly hard to actually capture in a recording of dance music I think is about trying to recreate that feeling of a flow state after the fact which is for me at least really difficult to do like how do you make something feel like it just happens naturally as it goes along and the thing comes in at the moment you want it to every time not really a, a formula to a lot of that music you know i mean in some cases there isn't you know bigger dance stuff and stuff like that but like with especially with dance music it's it's so um it feels so natural so that's that's a big inspiration point for me is trying to think about finding that in our music and like letting it just letting the thing happen in a way that you can capture it's difficult balance i'd imagine to try to have it feel so you know natural as you say but have it have a warmth to it and a, and a liveliness and a vibrance to it without it being you know sort of artificial in a way because i think people who maybe don't necessarily vibe or, or understand electronic music might just think it, it feels you know canned or it could be some sort of negative you know connection to it and i think the artists that are so good at this avoid whatever stigma that is yeah i'm always so fascinated by the people who are like uh it's just a loop as if live music isn't also just a loop usually like these bands that have been doing the same song for 40 years it's just like plug and play yeah well 100 percent, but also like like a bass part usually repeats right like you know sorry to pull the curtain on there right but yeah exactly it's also like one of those things where like every tool's a mirror you know what i mean so like you can make lifeless feeling electronic music and soulless feeling electronic music you can make soulless and lifeless feeling any kind of music you know what i mean anybody who's just painting by the numbers and and not thinking about that purposely or unpurposely uh can generate that kind of thing it's it's 
I feel like music is about hearing the person on the other side. And that person either put themselves in that music or they didn't. And it doesn't matter to the genre, you know? Right. There is some kind of connection. And however that connection is made, it doesn't matter what that sound is. It got from one person to the other. Exactly. That's not easy. Well, I guess not. I feel like it, it like, as long as you, uh, you know, as long as you don't let fear take over and you keep on trying to do it. But do you have these moments where you say you're playing a show and, you know, you've played a song that people are already invested in. You know, okay, this is going to go well. And then you play something for the first time and maybe the reaction is less than that or something. Do you feel like, oh, we didn't, we didn't hit it with this one. You know, does that, you know, how's that immediate feedback work? It just means you haven't figured out how to play it yet. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of it is like a translation, you know? You're you're trying to to talk to somebody about this thing that you can't really use words to talk about to to say. You know what I mean? Like you're you're trying to to bridge this gap. And I think that's a that's kind of a magic trick every time with every audience and every song, kind of no matter how you do it. And it gets easier the more people know the stuff before they get there. But like, that's kind of the thing with every one of them at the end of the day, you know? And and even like, you know, if we play Coffee or Die Young or one of our songs that like, you know, maybe everybody really, really knows and has heard a hundred times. Everybody at the show. Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> Very specifically. I mean, I think that there's a level of connection that we can get with those people that is that is that depth that we want. And then there's also a level of connection that's less than that. That's just like, Oh my God, I know this song. I love this song, which is also, I think us not really doing the job of like actually speaking, you know what I mean? So night to night, that's kind of the joy of tour is trying to figure out how to really be present in a way where you don't fall into recital mode and, and make it actually feel worth it. Well, you're also going and playing in front of a different group of people. So it's not like, it necessarily works the same way every show. It might in certain cases, but it also might not. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of live music is that it's it's a collaboration between you and the and the room full of people every night, and it changes. Have you always seen it that way? Is always instead of just being like, okay, we're gonna play our songs. Is it more of a togetherness? I think so, but like that's kind of the weird basis of Sylvanesso as an art project of being like, let's write all of these songs that, that can like create a feeling of unity in a room if everyone sings them together. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think all the proof you need for that is the pandemic. Like, you can play a perfect show where you really crush it, and if it's to a camera, like, it feels horrible. It's not the same thing. I mean, people watching it, has anyone ever watched a one of those shows and been like, oh, this is the same thing. Like, it's not. We know it's not. And the reason it's not is because you're not there together. Yeah, that's been the struggle for everybody. It's a struggle, but it's also nice that it proves the thing. You know, it, it means like, oh, yeah, it is. That's the whole point is being there together. Oh, yeah, it is special. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So next one on our list is New York City artist Samia with a, a new song that was produced or, or at least collaborated with in some form with Rostam called Mad At Me. Could I afford to? Why would I want to pick up the glass? Stepping around, you shut the doors as soon as I whispered. You never wish you were in a coward. I used to 
Sammy. She opened for us on a tour that we did between waves. Yeah. Um, she made this record at our studio, and she and her band are just so special and good and kind. And she's like an awesome, true freak. I'm so excited for this new record. I think she's responding to success in the way that you always dream someone will, where she's like, oh, this? And okay, I'm like really gonna talk now. So the, the record is wild and free and new and strange. Also, there is a song about me on it, so I shouldn't talk about it too much. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's just, I mean, every once in a while you meet a real one, and Sammy's a real one. was the impetus of the, of the whole relationship? Are you just like aware with her? Where did it turn into like, hey, come do this here? Or, you know, how did you guys make that connection of involvement? We were fans and we asked her to open for us on tour. And then when we were on tour, uh, we became friends. Right? Yeah, essentially. I mean, it's just, it was pretty natural. I kept it right behind us, yeah. And I shouldn't have sit around here. I mean, that's kind of how you hope that artistic friendships and creative relationships happen you know it's like i think so much of being an artist can get to this kind of weird capitalistic place where everything feels kind of transactional and uh forced and we really worked to kind of avoid that mm. in our lives we, i think a big focus in our lives right now has been kind of like fostering this sense of community with the people who we're surrounded by and a part of this kind of larger circle And Sam is a more recent addition to that kind of octopus, and it's just really rewarding. You know, it's just like anything. The more people that you're connected to, the better everything feels. I always find it really exciting when you have an artist that, you know, you have some awareness of or, or some investment in, and then you, you know the moment that they have just gone next level with their music. And that definitely feels like it right here with Samia. Yeah, it's super exciting. She's so good. So we've got um, the next song on here is um, is called BB, and an artist named uh, Tim Barnardis. Can you tell me about BB? We are lucky enough to be our label, Psychic Hotline, has put out Tim's first release in the U.S. Um, and this is from his latest record. Yeah, we're just. I mean, like, we're in love with this guy's music. Uh, Tim is. Uh, he's from Sao Paulo. And we are huge fans. And this this kind of came together really serendipitously again through this kind of extended musical family uh, that we that we've kind of got or we're lucky enough to be a part of. And uh, we just had this amazing time with him at Newport Folk Festival. He came up. He was on tour with Fleet Foxes and uh, came up and joined us. And we had this kind of we put this kind of family band together and played a few songs. And this was one of them. Uh, but his album uh, is just 
insanely good if you haven't listened to it i like i realize i'm super biased as one of the people who put his record out but like holy cow it's insane yeah he's also one of those people that when you're around him um you know everyone's nightmare is like the guy with the acoustic guitar that's just (laughs) kind of there um but when he plays you know he he makes the magic of music very apparent you can see like it is him and it's constantly flowing out of him and you're lucky if you get to be in his presence because he'll probably sing and play he's also my favorite he was teaching all of our friends how to drum in like the tropicalia way which is so fun because he would like play the guitar part and then like sing the drum part to our friend tj it's the best could you possibly want from a song there's no nightmare there <laughs> there's no nightmare for the guy in the guitar it's beautiful exactly exactly yeah so you, you sold it yeah <laughs> <laughs> One of the most magical uh, musical nights I think of my entire life was when we were at Newport. We all were getting back from our various shows and rehearsals and whatever, and getting back around you know midnight to the band house we we're all staying at. And I pull up and out on the lawn in the moonlight. I mean, I don't want to make this too overblown, hyperbolic, romantic, but was, no, please do. But it's you know the the moon is coming through the New England trees. And Tim is out there with TJ and Joe, uh, the two percussionists who are playing with the band. TJ's got a snare drum, and Joe has a shaker and a triangle, and Tim has his nylon guitar. And they are just going through classic samba after classic samba. And the three of them are just calling them out. And slowly, the entire rest of the band filtered in. We all just sat in the backyard in the middle of the night listening to these three guys play this Brazilian music. And it was like... They, I mean, they did like two and a half hours. It was, it was just like the dream of music at home. It was, it was unbelievable. It feels like that would provide some good perspective, you know, when you get bogged down in the various challenges that come through with playing shows and touring and everything and making music and creating and, you know, the business side or the commercial side or, or whatever it is that, you know, doesn't work for you. You take that moment and you go, this is what it's all about. Exactly. That's really what it felt like. Particularly in that moment, I knew I needed a lot of extra encouragement. And getting to come home to that happening was just really rejuvenating. Do you have a lot of experiences like that at Newport, or is that just sort of one that stands out? 
That was my favorite one. Newport itself this year for us was incredibly exhausting. Um, so it was really nice to get home, to leave the festival, go to our rental house and be greeted with like the spirit and generosity of music. And how about the, you know, from the, the work side and the, uh, the challenging side, starting your own label, you know, navigating that, you know, how rewarding slash difficult has that been? I mean, really, uh, okay. Well, the way that we work in general, it, we work incredibly closely with our management in that it's all pretty much a, like a, a very in-depth creative collaboration that exists outside of us. And the label in some ways is really run by Marty, who's been our manager for this whole time, and Chris Chen, our collaborator in that project. It's been amazing and also it complete like we say it's a label mostly as kind of like in the way that like Drake says that a record is a playlist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I, I, I'm just going to warn you now. Uh-huh. That's likely going to be in the trailer for this episode. <laughs> like, <we're... laughs> but yeah, uh, so it is. It is that, but it also really is an art project that exists. Like, it's not run in the way that most labels are run, in that we're not seeking uh, money. Uh, yeah, the money. The money is not happening. Um, <laughs> uh, we play the shows to keep the label going, um, and it's been incredibly enriching. But at the same time, like I think it kind of it exists outside of the normal label world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole. Th- I think I think I hope every label right now is a- is asking themselves why they exist. And if you don't have a good answer, I think you should stop being a label. You know what I mean? Um, and for us, part of the joy of being able to do something like this is to ask the questions that we always wish that labels would be asking themselves and try out things in kind of a sandbox where it's like it doesn't since making money isn't our primary goal that that it's supplemented in other ways uh that frees up all these new and interesting possibilities uh of how we can help work be made and help it come out and help the artists who make it to be able to do what they want to do i mean those are that's like the most rewarding part of the whole thing how, how can you foster someone's idea from the phase where it's just this tiny little zygote of an idea until they're on stage playing it for other people and it's out? You know, that's like endlessly rewarding. And the perspective that you have is just different than, you know, sort of a traditional label setup is going to have. Somebody who has never been in that place, never been in the studio to record, never written anything, never been on a stage to perform. You know, you just have much different perspective. Definitely. I mean, I think that brings with it its own set of skills that we also, you know, in some cases don't have. But I do think that the label idea right now, I think it's from where I sit, it's time for fresh perspectives. And it's time for people to come up and like challenge what's been done for the last 70 years. And uh, even if those challenges fail spectacularly, uh, you know, it's fine. I'll be the Dennis Kucinich of labels. You know, that's totally fine with me. (laughs) Oh my God. Why did you do that? (laughs) Uh, Somebody's got to talk about Kucinich. Maybe we'll use that as the trailer too. No, go with the Drake one. That's better. (laughs) Fair enough. 
Uh, so next song on the list is called Every Day from Tree City. Tree City lives a couple blocks away from us in our town. And he just keeps getting better and better. We love him. And uh, his music is so freaking good. It's always been so good. He's a fantastic DJ and producer. And he's on this label here called Roundhouse, who I've done a bunch of work with, um, that consistently puts out just really great electronic music and stuff from kind of the beat and dance scenes here in North Carolina. This song is just undeniable. Every once in a while, someone makes one that's just undeniable. And I feel like this one is just undeniable. You can't, there's nobody who you could put this on for where they wouldn't leave with a smile on their face, you know? More people need to know about Tree City. 11 So you have Tree City, you have an artist that's a couple of blocks away from you, and now we go sort of on the other side of things. We go to, to New Zealand and, and, and Aldous Harding. Um, you know, how do we get here? What, what is about this, uh, this particular Aldous song? It's a 22-hour flight later. 22-hour flight. We're all so lucky that we're alive at the same time as Aldous Harding. Uh, true visionary, true freak, actual wizard, and um, excellent teller of jokes. Aldous Harding. Some people say, give them the books and they will come running. But the books all change, freedom go lightly. I feel me tightening up, now I'm a little bit older. But I remain unchanged, and the folks who love me. We love Aldous. Yeah, I mean, she's just... We've both been huge fans for a very long time. Uh, I think very cemented by the video for The Barrel off of her last record, which if you haven't sure. watched that, just, you know, highly recommend. I've uh, loved her since Imagining My Man. Oh, Imagining My Man. Boy, what a, what a song. Yeah. Not only can she write, like, a truly incredible song that no one else has written, but also she will break your heart while making you laugh. I'll be all day Getting the velvet back to 
If you're not in on a joke, she seems really alienating. But like, if you let your mind relax for a second, you get what she's doing. And it's so brilliant and cool. You know, she she really does that thing. We kind of talked we talked about this a few times about um, artists who are able to incorporate silliness into their expression and how important that is because it's like like I don't know about you, but it's such a huge part of my emotional life. You know, it's like it's like a, a massive seasoning in my experience as a human being, um, and it it kind of tempers doom and and shapes it and, and in a way that makes existing uh, more rich and also just possible. She has a way of incorporating silliness that feels like it emphasizes her humanity. And it also kind of feels like she might stab you, like, <laughs> which I love. Like there's yeah. silliness and menace in equal measure are present. This song, Leathery Whip, I, I think it was my number one song of last year. We sing it all the time. It's a perfect song. Another song that about two thirds of the way in takes a hard left turn that you don't see coming that makes me almost cry every time I hear it. There's something very playfully sinister about what's going on there. Yeah. And I love that, you know, because you guys create this all-inclusive, joyous experience with your music, but yet you're drawn to something like this, which does have a scarier quality to it. So is that because, you know, that's not what you guys do, but you could still appreciate it? Or is it like, oh, maybe one day we would make our sinister record? I think our songs are sinister. Well, <laughs> I think we maybe take Doom and wrap it in joy, and Aldous might do some version of the opposite of that. Make joy, take joy and wrap it in Doom? Yeah, there, I think there's a there's a part of the presentation. It's like a, it starts as a deeply emotional thing, and then she adds the sinister rapper, and I think ours is wrapped in joy. And, you know, it's just the, it's like an inverse thing, maybe. Yeah. You got to have the Doom, though. If you don't have the doom, what are you doing? Then it's just... <laughs> what are ha- you dooming? We already have happy by Pharrell. You know what I mean? It can only happen once. It, yeah. it only needs to happen once. You're not yeah. wrong. There can only be one room without a roof. <laughs> Dropping the lyrics. I love it. That's great stuff. <laughs> All this, though, has this PJ Harvey quality to her. Does she not? Like, where you're just a little bit nervous about what's going on, but you're completely drawn in by it? Yeah, I think that's fair. 
Totally, and I also just don't really think she participates in the male gaze in the same... Or, like, maybe she does. There's a thing about, like, Aldous has, like, a quality that feels deeply like an art project to me that's so exciting. Not that PJ Harvey didn't, but I think, like... Yeah, I mean... She was going for... There was, like, a larger audience that was participating in PJ Harvey in a way where with Aldous it feels like she's talking to you. But I think both maybe confront the reality of existing as a female person within the patriarchy and within the gays in a way that, that there's a I think there's an overlap there. Yeah, I don't know. Aldous would hate if we were talking about this. That is so true, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Aldous. We do love you. You could just go back to the doom. I mean, just focus on doom. Yeah, yeah. Happy doomsday. All right, so uh, we're see. This is how it happens. We get really far through this, and here we are at the seventh song already of our of our eight track conversation. Uh, Eduardo Mateo. Oh yeah, who's Eduardo Mateo? Oh, this right. This is while you were on tour. Yeah, and Sandy picked all these songs, which is annoying, but also fun. I can tell that you're annoyed, I and am, I I am annoyed. I like that you're annoyed. Yeah, I bet you do. I do. Uh, this one. <laughs> so I've been working on some music with a friend of mine, Andy Jenkins, who lives in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and he's been coming down every once in a while. Um, and I adore him. And we love, like, you know, like any great friend, he plays me great records I've never heard. And one of them was this Eduardo Mateo record that he had found uh, at a thrift store. I don't know. He put it on and it crushed me right out the gate. Uh, the production is super crazy. It's all this everything. There's no intermediate panning decisions. It's all like all the way in the left channel, all the way in the right channel or in the center. And it's these beautiful songs from South America. Uh, and it just, it's got this like mystical, captivating quality. I just can't stop listening to this record. And you centered in on a song called Uke Makana. So why this one over something else? Honestly, it was tough to pick because it's a record I just put on from front to back and usually play it twice through. So trying to pick one that would like kind of say why I love it was honestly a little difficult. Uh, it's one of those albums that in my brain kind of exists as a whole. But this one I thought might distill the most things I like about the record into one kind of digestible snippet. There's so much rhythm uh, alongside just, you know, the beautiful guitar work and everything. There's a lot going on there. Also, I love how like free it is, you know, especially if you listen to the whole thing, it really just sounds like three people sat down and recorded an entire album straight through and we're just having fun. There's a bunch of false starts and kind of rough around the edges moments. You know, it's it's like it's definitely not on the grid. Oh, yeah, it's it's all over the place. It's it's so 
it's just so free and beautiful. I don't know. I just love it. You can tell that they maybe didn't totally have a conversation about how the song was going to end, and then they just had a good time. Well, I know you were saying how, you know, you would listen to that, you know, straight through. So in your own creation, you know, when you guys are sitting down and, and, and recording, you know, what, how is that line drawn, you know, of, well, this could just be one song we put out in the world or trying to craft the album that you hope somebody is going to, you know, have that level of investment in? I mean, I think you kind of know when you make something. I feel like there's songs that we've made that were like, oh, this is its own statement. And then there's other times we're working where we'll have, you know, well, maybe we'll make three or four and all of a sudden we'll see the frame that they are naturally putting themselves within. And I think it's, it's way more about after the fact for us. I mean, it's, it's kind of more interpreting what we've done and, and trying to figure out the best way to like show it to somebody like even that, like that's a record, you know, that I um, love, but it was really hard to pick one. it's almost kind of like the way I felt about picking a single off of our last record, you know, which is like, I think there's, there's elements of that kind of spirit that, that we try to really convey with our last record, which is this feeling of kind of just this, you know, taped together moment in time, um, a little more scrapbooky. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, it's tough to say, it's tough to say how, how you draw that line other than I think all you can do is really listen and and try to hear yourself and what you're what you're trying to say and how to communicate that to somebody else and sometimes that's longer and sometimes it's shorter you think though it's there's um there's reason to hold on to the album and not consider it to be a lost art oh without oh, question oh i have no i don't know i'm not you think you you're pro album I'm pro not making rules about the way people should make things so i think a good thing that's happening right now is you don't have to make an album you know, it doesn't have to be 40 minutes and two sides. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's not, that doesn't matter anymore. I don't think that means that that form of expression or that, that type of attention is artistically meaningless now. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I, I, to me, the exciting part about Rana is not that the idea of the death of the album, it's the birth of anything else. Like, because it really feels like you can do anything. You can put out one song. I mean, Tierra Whack made one of the greatest records of the last five years, and it was 15 tracks that were a minute long each. You know what I mean? Is that an album? Like, I think so. But it was 15 minutes long. There wasn't a song that lasted more than, they were literally all exactly 60 seconds. And that was one of the most influential records I think that's come out in the last decade. Um, That's the exciting part to me. Not whether or not an album exists. It's the fact that it doesn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was wait. There was that long setup, and I was like, Amelia's coming in with the win here. Here it comes. And she nailed it. Yep. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. We have reached the end of our list. Song number eight is Joy Orbison and Overmono, and a song called Blind Date. Talk to me about this one. Overmono. My favorite band. They're so good. Um, 
They're like my favorite scholars of dance music right now. They just can't stop putting out perfect tracks. I'm so excited that they're collaborating with Joy Orbison. I'm a little jealous. I'm very jealous. I'm, in, I'm incredibly jealous of Joy Orbison, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, congratulations, Joy. And I can't wait to see what this collaboration brings. Every track that they've made individually has been great. And uh, I think this is maybe the third or fourth song they've done with Joy Orbison. And those are all like, I mean, it's like the Avengers coming together. You know, it's just, it's, it's so insanely satisfying. I just did a boiler room, uh, which is like a, a taped DJ set thing for anybody who doesn't follow that kind of thing, with my friend uh, James, who goes by Girl. Uh, we did a duo set and uh, closed with this song, and it's just so good. There's something about that to me that feels like if you're in a, a crowded venue and, you know, it's one thing about when the music is going to touch you and the music, you're going to feel the music. That to me is, I think you're physically feeling the music. Mm. Like I could just see that kind of soaring through and like the reverberation of it all. Ugh. And that build when the halfway through the drums drop out and that big kind of synth comes in and the corporation enters, just the the tension and the, the oh God, it's it's like... It's so exciting on a big system. It's insane. Also, just a perfect kick drum, you know? What more could you want? We need to start doing, like, when we do playlist stuff like this, we need to say that everyone needs to, like, really turn up the volume every time there's a song that we play and then turn it down when we speak. What? Wait, hang on, though. What if our voices were also massively loud? No. No. I don't think so. You're not into, like, a Wizard of Oz type situation? No, I'm not down. No. Quiet talking. Loud singing. the balance of it all it's the yin and the yang it's the joy and the doom indeed yes and that closes the circle <laughs> nick amelia thank you for this thank you so much it's been a joy this was a great time and we will talk to you soon thank you so much for everything thank you thank you Not surprisingly, a super fun and insightful hang with Sylvanesso. And thanks to Amelia and Nick for the great finale to this season of 8-Track. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're making plans for the next installment of 8-Track, and we'll keep you posted at 8trackpod.com. In the meantime, catch up on episodes you missed and spread the word about 8-Track to a music fan near you. 8-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop, with theme music by Caroline Rose. 
I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.